Morning, everyone. It's a real joy and privilege to be uh, back here with you again. Yeah, I was here about five weeks ago, I think, something like that. Um, yeah, and it's, it's great to be back. Um, for those of you who don't know me, perhaps you weren't here that day, uh, family and I, we um, live and serve in Indonesia, um, and we're here for another around about six weeks, something like that. It's still in Australia. Uh, I was going to say maksudnya, um, is what I mean. Sorry, I'm speaking Indonesian again. Uh, so teaching at a Bible college over there. Um, just on that, uh, we've got uh, some prayer cards and um, a newsletter, a sign-up sheets. And if you'd like to get our newsletters, uh, please feel free. There's a sign-up sheet on the table out there. Feel free to jot your name down, your email address, etc. And we send out newsletters about every once every six weeks. Don't hold us to that, but that's what we intend to do. Uh, yeah, and you can put the uh, prayer letter, uh, prayer card on the fridge. Pray for us. Um, yeah. Uh, this morning, Andrew's asked me to share a little bit about um, the importance of teaching and equipping local Christian leaders as a strategy for mission. What is the importance of teaching and equipping local Christian leaders in reaching the world with the gospel? What's the importance of that? What are the reasons for it? And so on. And so that's what we're looking at this morning, which means that this is a different kind of sermon. This is not a kind of a, a, an expositional dig into one text, see what this text is saying and how it applies to our lives. That's not what we're doing this morning. Rather, what we're doing is what I want to do, just so you know where we're going, is I want to share four reasons. All of them can be seen from Scripture, and we'll see that. Four reasons why teaching and equipping Local church leaders is an effective, right way to go about doing missions. And then after that, so that this is not too kind of irrelevant, I don't know if that's the right word, but too far uh, away, thank you, uh, too far-fetched, yeah, that as well, but too far away from your own lives, our own context here in in Australia, I want to share a couple of reasons why teaching needs to be directly a part of all of our lives as, as Jesus' disciples. So that's what we're going, uh, that's where we're aiming for this morning. I feel like English has just left the building. <laughs> so let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, we're... Um, yeah, our hearts are still full of worship. Great is thy faithfulness. You are faithful. You are good. You have proved yourself to be faithful time and time and time again. We have no reason to worry, no reason to be anxious. You look after us all the time. And you hold our todays, our tomorrows, our eternities in your hands pardon for sin, a peace that endureth. Father, we're so grateful that this is not fluffy wannabe truths, but this is the truth. There is pardon for sin and a peace that endures forever. 
thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. And Father, we pray that during this time, you'd help us to um, hear from your voice, uh, hear what it is that you're wanting to say to us. The song before that, Father, glorify your name. We long to see the name of Jesus lifted high all around the world. And so we pray that during this time, you'd make more clear to us what our role is in that. Father, ultimately, our prayer during this time is that the name of Jesus would be glorified, would be lifted high. And so we pray, please come and speak. We're ready, we're listening. We want to follow Jesus well. So we commit this time into your hands and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So once again, why is the teaching and training of local Christian leaders an effective strategy in doing missions. I want to share four reasons. Now, there's more than four, but I just want to share four. The first one is training. That's up there, isn't it? Yep. Training local Christian leaders is a multiplying ministry. 2 Timothy 2, 2, very well-known verse. The things you've heard me say, this is Paul, you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So let's get what this verse is saying, right? Uh, the things you have heard me say, Timothy, leading a bunch of Christians in Ephesus, the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many others, you've heard me teach on this, Timothy, don't hold it to yourself, right? Entrust these truths to other, not just anyone, but to reliable people who will pass them on clearly and rightly to others. So entrust these to gifted, godly others, and so Paul is thinking strategically here. He's at the end of his life, right? This is probably the last letter he wrote. A few chapters on from here, chapter 4, verse 6, he says, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near. He knows he's about to die, right? According to tradition, gets his head lopped off in Rome. And he's thinking about what's going to happen when he's gone. And he wants to make sure that the deep, precious truths that he's been teaching are passed on clearly and well. So he's got in mind here a multiplying strategy. And if you know anything about the history of missions, you'll know that there's times in history when this has happened really well, and there's times when it's happened really badly. There's been times where there's been missionaries, for example, who haven't wanted to entrust deep foundational gospel truths to others because there's been a whole variety of reasons, some of them possibly good reasons, but at the end of the day, they haven't done what this verse says, haven't wanted to pass on truths to other, to haven't wanted to equip, teach, train local Christian leaders and entrust the work of the ministry to them. And the effects have been disastrous in some cases. But when we teach and train gifted and godly believers, they can then teach and train others and teach who then teach and train others and so on. It's the multiplying thing. And this might sound good in theory, but it really, really works. It really works. And I could give you lots of examples where I've seen it happen. I don't want to because I don't want to talk about my own ministry too much. Possibly the biggest way... Uh, Example where we see it happen in the history of missions is in China. Some of you might know that there were some Western missionaries who didn't want to entrust the Chinese church with uh, the with 
oversight of, uh, didn't want to entrust Chinese believers with oversight of the Chinese church. And so they held control. Not all of them. There were some standout exceptions to that, people like Hudson Taylor and the China Inland Mission and so on. But there were many Western missionaries who didn't want to release control of the Chinese church to Chinese believers. And what happened? 1950, thereabouts, communist China kicked all the Western missionaries out. Now imagine if they hadn't passed on any deep gospel truths to Chinese believers. What would have happened? It all would have fizzled out. And those Western missionaries thought that that was going to happen. But because there were some people, missionaries, who had shared, who had entrusted uh, the truths to reliable others who were qualified to teach others and so forth, what happened while the missionaries, while the Western missionaries were kicked out of the country was that the church in China exploded, absolutely exploded. Millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people coming to the Lord. Uh, this is a strategic, the point is, this is a strategic and effective and biblical way of doing missions. We want to train local Christian leaders because it is a multiplying ministry. This is one reason why this is an effective missional strategy. This September, uh, at the college where I teach, we're going to have around about 100-odd students graduating. All of them Indonesians. All of them will be living, dying, serving in Indonesia, probably, very little chance they'll be, they'll be leaving the country. Imagine what could happen. Imagine the potential if all 100 of them, uh, they, they pour out their lives in service of Jesus well. I mean, some of these people are going to be, uh, the, many of them will be pastors and teachers, teachers in schools, pastors of churches. Some of them will be political leaders. Some of them will be community leaders. Some of them will write songs. Some of them will write books. Can you imagine the potential, if these 100 people, this September, who we're sending out, if they pour their lives out in passing on the truths of the gospel to others. The potential is huge. We want to see it happen. So this is the first reason why this is an effective way to do missions. Training local Christian leaders is a multiplying ministry. If I plant myself in one place, Lord willing, I could have an effect um, through his grace, but this multiplying type thing, it's just, it's so strategic. If I can, if we can teach others, it's a multiplying thing. Right, that's the first one. Second one, training local Christian leaders safeguards against false teaching. Uh, one verse, I've only put one verse here, even though there's so many more. He, that is an elder, so Titus chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, Paul is writing to Titus, who's ministering in Crete, and he's, he's giving him there the requirements for candidates who potentially want to serve as elders in the church, right? And this is part of that passage, verses 6 to 9. He writes, he, that is an elder, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that, this is the so that, this is the purpose, he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So much of the New Testament, so much of it, has been written specifically to address false teaching. Because False teaching is so destructive. 
But if we can train local Christian leaders well, they can refute, counter this false teaching well. Uh, We see this kind of thing a lot in our context. So just to give you a picture of what it might look like uh, in, in some of these contexts. In our context, what does it look like? There's a lot of syncretism to begin with. So what is syncretism? So it's a uh, fancy word for where you've got uh, people, Christians, we'll use Christians in this case, Christians who have brought into their Christianity all the baggage from their previous religion, which is almost always animism. And so what they, what they are practicing is not Christianity, so to speak, but it's, it's, um, it's a combination of the two. It's syncretism. It's animistic Christianity. So what does that look like on the ground? Well, this August, I can tell you what I'll be doing at the start of August, late July. We will have probably 120-odd new students come to the campus. And one of the first things we're going to have to do with them is to go through with them. It's time to get rid of your amulets. It's time to get rid of your black magic. We are going to stop relying on the witch doctor now, and we are trusting in the power of Jesus. Right? Jesus is your savior, not the witch doctor down the road. When you get sick next time, we are praying. Bring all your amulets out. Bring all your black magic scrolls, etc. All that kind of stuff out. We're getting rid of it. That's the first thing we do with new students. And you would not believe how many of them have to repent of this. It's huge. And these are Christian leaders going to Bible college. These are the the people who are future leaders of the church. The picture I've got up here, I just pulled this one off the internet, but you can, I can take thousands of photos of little things like this. This is from an area about seven, eight hours north of where we live. So where we live, it's all Muslim people groups, but if you travel up north about seven, eight hours, you get to uh, one of the two main Christian people groups on our island. It's the closest. These are the Torajanese people. They live in the mountains, and they have got some wacky beliefs. This this thing here is where they, uh, they spend almost all their money, which is not very much, but almost all their money on building ornate buildings to bury bodies of dead people in, dead relatives and so on. You probably can't see that, but the little white, there's two uh, picture frames. That's two faces of two bodies, like two uh, photos of bodies that have been buried in this particular one. And what these people do, these are, these are the Christians, these are the ones who are known as Christians on our islands. They bring uh, food, drink, cigarettes every day to these graves to offer them to their departed relatives. They spend more on their dead relatives than they do on their children because they want to ensure that their dead relatives are looked after in the afterlife. This is a melding of animism and Christianity. And so when I go up there, you know, we give, it, we give it to them. We say, this is not right. This is not what the Bible teaches and so forth. But it's slow going. Anyway, um, so there's animism. There's also uh, wrong theology. So wrong theology, what do we mean by that? Well, uh, to give you some examples, uh, in Indonesia, everyone has, they've got like a, a driver's license, um, but it's... Well, there is a driver's license, but there's another form of identification as well, which is an identity card. We'll call it that in English. 
Um, and on your identity card, what is written on there is your religion. In Indonesia, you have to have one out of a possible six religions written on your identity card, right? Which is one of the reasons why we've got so much syncretism. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, so everyone, every Indonesian has an identity card if they're on the books, and uh, on that identity card is written their religion. Now, there is a lot of believers, particularly from Reformed Calvinistic churches, who believe that who are the elect, right? There are elect in Calvinism and so on. The elect are those people who have Christian written on their identity card. And so we are not going to bother sharing the gospel with anyone who's got Muslim or Hindu or anything else written on their identity card because they're not the elect. We're only going to share the gospel with those who have got Christian written on the identity card, but actually we don't really have to do that either because they're elect anyway. But can you see how this kind of wrong theology just stuffs up kingdom growth? And how if it's confronted, the, the potential is huge, but if it's not confronted... It's, it's going to stunt the going forth of the gospel. Or another, this is, a, this is an even more widespread belief. If you don't ask, if you don't confess every single one of your sins, whichever one you haven't confessed, that one will send you to hell. And so we've got so many believers, so many believers of all different denominations that are absolutely convinced that they are going to hell because they've forgotten to confess some uh, particular sins. And there's a whole stack of them that think that you have to, you know, you get forgiven when you take the Lord's Supper and so on and so on. I could talk for a very long time about this. Wrong theology. It takes all the joy of salvation out. It's not the gospel, and so we want to teach and equip local Christian leaders so that they can refute, counter these wrong beliefs, syncretism, wrong theology, and so forth. Does that make sense? This is a really big deal. Next one. Uh, training local Christian leaders helps them understand the gospel and be equipped to share it couple of verses, 2 Timothy 1, verses, they're both from 2 Timothy. What you've heard from me, Timo, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The good deposit here is the gospel. And so Paul, he's taught gospel truths to Timothy, and he's saying to Timothy, guard them well. There's so much false teaching around the place, so much heresy. You make sure you're guarding the gospel in your own life, and praise God, the Holy Spirit will help. Guard the gospel. Second verse, 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 2, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and of his kingdom, I give you this charge, right? Last chapter of Paul's last letter, closing words. What does he want to say to Timothy? Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Five imperatives, five commands. The last four based on the first one. 
preach the word. And preach the word, for the record, sometimes the word frequently, the word or the word of God or the word of truth is a synonym for all of the scriptures. But in the pastoral epistles, in other words, First and Second Timothy and Titus, those those kind of phrases, the word of God, word of truth, and so on, they're almost always used as a description of the gospel. And so what Paul is saying here is, Timothy, preach the gospel. And you make sure you do it well. Be prepared to teach the gospel well. Guard the gospel and preach the gospel. That's his closing words to Timothy. Christian leaders are called to be people who guard the gospel, know the gospel, can share the gospel well. And so this is a core purpose of Christian theological education. We want to see Christian leaders really understand the gospel and be equipped to share it well. And once again, I could share lots of stories, but I don't want to because we're going to take too much time, so we'll keep going. That's the third reason why we want to, why this is an effective missional strategy. The, the fourth one, final one I want to share this morning is training local Christian leaders aims towards Christ-like character. Uh, so the aim here is Christ-like character. First Corinthians 11 verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Very well-known verse from 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 11, verse 1. Paul is saying, follow me insofar as I follow Christ. In other words, ultimately, the aim is not to be like Paul. No, the ultimate aim is we want to be like Christ. And so Paul is a, a kind of a clear example of what it means to be Christ-like. So he's saying, follow me insofar as I am a clear representative picture of what it means to be Christ-like. Now, what's the point in relation to what we're talking about this morning? The point is, the aim of Christian education, training, theological uh, education, is not simply to increase a person's head knowledge, right? Sometimes I say to my students, uh, Satan has got better theology than you do, and he always will. And it's true, right? Satan knows the Bible better than we do. And he hates God. So the aim of Christian education is not just to learn this. We're looking for more than that. A deep heart transformation where we walk out at the end of the course loving God well. Loving others well. If there hasn't been this kind of deep transformation, this training, teaching has failed. We want to see Christ-like character developed. And I think it's, it's really important for us in Australia uh, to get that what, what it looks like overseas is very different from what it looks like here. So I'm guessing many of us have been through university and we know what that, um, that looks like, right? You study at a university maybe for three or four years or longer if you're a sucker for punishment. And then, and then you graduate and so on. And when do you go to university? Well, you go to university probably a few times a week or if you're working, you might do it at night or something like that. But you, you live at home and you go in to uni and then you, you come back home and so on. The way that Christian education works in Australia is actually not too dissimilar to that, 
right? So there's Malian College, and there's a few other Bible colleges as well, where you go to the Bible college, you study for, you know, you do your subjects there, and then you come back and, and you live at home or wherever. It, it doesn't look that different from secular education. The goals are different, but the way that it looks on the ground, as far as going to university, doesn't look that different. Do you agree? But the way that Christian education or training, or whatever, looks on the ground overseas frequently looks so, so, so different to that. I remember reading about a Bible college where the first assignment was memorize Matthew. Well, that's your first assignment. Memorize Matthew. Our students, to give you a picture of what it looks like at our college, you, you're out of bed, this bell that rings, 5, 5 a.m. Now, all undergrad, undergraduate students have to live on campus for at least a year of their studies. Most of them live on campus their, their whole studies. And this is what happens when you live on campus. Bell rings 5 o'clock. You have to be out of bed at 5 o'clock. A roll is taken, and you go out there, and you're, you're sweeping and doing your chores until 5.30. 5.30 in the morning. This is every morning. 5.30 in the morning, you're doing personal devotions reading the scriptures, and in prayer. Six o'clock, bell rings, breakfast. 6.30, you go to your room and you get ready for the day, have a shower and whatever. Clean your teeth, which none of them do, but anyway. <laughs> trying to change that. 7.30, chapel. Right? Chapel for an hour and a half. Nine o'clock, classes start through to one o'clock, one o'clock, lunch, you get a break, two o'clock, class is on again, till four or five o'clock, depending on what class it is, then you get a break, six o'clock, dinner, seven o'clock, there's always a worship service, or small groups, or a prayer meeting, or something like that, through to nine o'clock, nine o'clock, you get ready for bed, ten o'clock, you have to be in bed with the lights off, and the next day, you get up and you do it again. This is every day, Monday through Friday, Saturdays, you're allowed to have a day of rest, but they need to work on their assignments, so. And then Sunday, church twice a day. This is, but the, the morning routine's still the same. Still getting up at five, still in bed by 10. Like this is a very regimented lifestyle. And the reason why we do that is because we want to build into the students the importance of spiritual disciplines. And when you share this, there's always those who will say, oh, you're going to teach them legalism. There's this line, right, of, of being a faithful disciple where there is the danger of falling into uh, legalism, absolutely, where you're relying on your own goodness before the Lord. Or there's this line of uh, the, the other danger is laziness. We're not disciplined at all. And I think a far greater temptation in this day and age is the laziness one, not the disciplined one. Particularly since in the classes, what we're hammering all the time, hopefully, is rely on Jesus, rely on Jesus, rely on Jesus, not legalism. But the point is we want to build in disciplines into their lives because we want to see Christ-like character developed. Now, why is this an important missional strategy, you might be thinking? It's a number of reasons. I just want to share two, one positive, one negative. The negative one is, I am guessing we all know Christian leaders 
who have fallen, right? There's been some gross moral failing in their lives, and their ministry has just been destroyed. We don't want to see that happen. We don't want to see that happen, right? So that's the negative one. The positive one is when we send leaders out, local Christian equipped leaders out, we want to see them ministering from a place of spiritual health, from a place of intimacy with the Lord, in the power of the Spirit. That's what we want to see happening. Does that make sense? So we want, to pour, we want to make sure that Christian education, this training local Christian leaders, it aims towards Christ-like character. This is what Jesus said for the record. Uh, make disciples, mathetes is the word in Greek. The, the word mathetes for the record, it's usually translated like student or pupil or, or disciple or whatever. It's, it's much more holistic than simply head knowledge. This is about life transformation. It's what we want to see happen. We want to teach and train in a way where the end goal is Christ-like character. So, last slide. Once again, why is it a good thing for Wynnum Baptists to be pouring as you are, pouring into the teaching and training of local Christian leaders as a missional strategy? Four reasons out of many. Training local Christian leaders is a multiplying ministry. It's strategic. It's biblical. It's strategic. Training local Christian leaders safeguards against false teaching. Training local Christian leaders helps them understand the gospel and share it well. Training local Christian leaders aims towards Christ-like character. This is a really effective, strategic way to see the kingdom grow. So, um, keep doing what you're doing and supporting uh, the teaching and training of Christian leaders in Togo, uh, in Indonesia, and so on. It's, it's, this, is, this is worthwhile. Now, before we finish, you might be wondering, well, this is terrific, Chris, but what's the relevance for us? This is coming across more like a seminar, giving information than something that is, you know, is, is relevant for us personally. I actually hope that as we've been talking about this, uh, looking at a few different scriptures, I, I really do hope that the Lord's been speaking to us. Um, but if we bring it even closer to home, how is this teaching thing relevant for each of us? Um, I want to suggest three things. The first one's already up there. I've already said it. Let's support the teaching and training of local Christian leaders. Let's do it well. That means overseas, but it also means here. But beyond that, two more things. Uh, we're called to be, number one, we're called to be teachable. So when we talk about teaching and training, usually, if you're anything like me, you have this picture in your head of, you know, you talk about training Christian leaders and you straight away have this picture of what it might look like on the ground. And if you're anything like me, you probably position yourself as the teacher. You know, talking from the front and, and liking the sound of your own voice. Let's not immediately do that. Let's position ourselves as learners, as teachable people. So two verses, John 14, verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so the Holy Spirit is the great teacher. 
And if he's teaching, it means we've still got a lot to learn. 1 Peter 3 verse 18. That's not 1 Peter, that's 2 Peter. Yes, that's right. My thing is wrong. 2 Peter 3 verse 18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the final verse in 2 Peter, right? Grow in the knowledge and grace. Because he's, he's uh, fighting against false teaching and so forth, he wants his audience to keep growing. Why does he want them to keep growing? Because there's still a lot to learn. So we are called to be people who are continually growing in our knowledge of God, knowledge of God, and relationship with Him. Called to be humble, teachable people. Don't let pride, I already know lots, don't let pride or laziness, can't be bothered, or worldliness, I just want to watch YouTube, (laughs) Don't let things like this rob you, me. Don't let, let's not let them rob us of growing in the knowledge of God, growing in our relationship with Him. Let's move forward in this. Let's live as humble, teachable disciples. There are people here with more gray hair than me, who know a lot, far more than me. But for all of us, doesn't matter if you're 10 or 110, we're going to be learning, we're going to be seeing new amazing truths of God forever. And the final one, we are called to teach. Uh, I don't mean the office of teaching. We're not all called to have the office of teaching. And in fact, James Chapter 3, verse 1 says, you should not all try to be teachers. (laughs) Don't aim for that necessarily. So I'm not talking about that. I I mean, in in one sense, we're all called to teach in the Great Commission sense. Go, make disciples, baptizing and teaching all things. And so in one sense, we're all called to be communicating deep truths of the gospel. Uh, but there's other ways that we are called to teach as well. Here's just some of them. Parents teach your children. I haven't uh, written out the verses here because it's, it's too long a passage, but hopefully we know this passage, Deuteronomy 6, 5. Love the Lord your God with all everything. And parents, teach that to your kids. Write it all over the place. Tattoo it on their foreheads. No, don't do that. But <laughs> write it all over the place, right? Teach your children to love the Lord well. I don't know, I don't pretend to be an expert on parenting, believe me. Um, If you don't believe me, ask my wife or my children, they will tell you I'm not. But one thing I do know is that if we parents don't teach our children, someone else will. Someone else will. It might be friends, it might be the internet, someone else will. Let those who are older teach those who are younger. It's a principle we see in Titus 2, verse 2 and 5. Young people, set an example to others. Don't let anyone look down. This is 1 Timothy 4, 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers. That means all of them. In speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. 
And church, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We might not all have the teaching office, so to speak, but let's be people who are humbly, as teachable people ourselves, humbly, clearly communicate the truths of God's Word to whoever it is that we're with. Amen? Amen. And so this week, can I encourage you, let's, let's keep uh, praying for the work of missions. Uh, there's a lot that this church is doing to support missions, and it's, it's just really awesome. Um, pray that many more local Christian leaders in Togo, Indonesia, and China, and India, and so forth, would be raised up, taught, equipped well. And let's be people... We're reflecting on this. Let's be people who are teachable ourselves. I remember when I used to, remember you guys here, student life people, we used to talk about looking for people who are fat, faithful, available, and teachable as people who are going to be future leaders. Let's ourselves be people who are teachable, humble, devoted, learning disciples. And finally, let's be people who communicate the truths of God well to those around us, whether that be in the home or church or workplace or wherever it is. Let's share, teach well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for um, uh, the truth that um, you want to teach us. Yeah, you want to keep teaching and training each of us, which is amazing. And, and Father, we want to learn. We want to become more Christ-like. Father, we really want to learn. And so, Father, please help us to hear what it is that you're wanting to teach us, each of us. Father, please help us to respond well. And Father, we also want to um, say thank you for the opportunities that you've placed each of us in to serve here at church, at home, work, wherever it is. Father, we pray that in whatever context it is you've placed us in, that you'd help us to be people who communicate, whether it be through actions, through words, whatever it is. Father, please help us to communicate wherever we are uh, the gospel, that Jesus is good and Jesus is the Savior and Jesus is the Lord. And Father, we, we think as well of of the need of godly Christian leaders right around the world. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so we we pray, Father, raise up many more. Raise up many more. Send out many more. Glorify your name in all the world. And Father, as much and as well as Wynnum Baptist can be involved in this great commission. Father, we pray that you would use Wynnum Baptist for your namesake. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.